begin in James chapter 1 um, and verse number 6. James chapter 1 and 6. Amen. Let me, I tell you what, before we read the verse, let me just, if I could, talk to you for a minute. Um, some things the Lord's been teaching me of late, and, and um, I want to just share a brief version of it with you to provide a, I guess, a backdrop or a starting point for us tonight, and just even in light of that song that we just sang. The Bible says that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. And one of the ways that I've always tried to teach those and explain those is to compare them to the law of gravity and then what we call, the some people call it the law of flight, some people call it lift, the law of lift. It's really uh, Sir Isaac Newton's third law of motion. Um, that's the third law of motion is what enables us to overcome gravity and actually fly. The third law of motion says that for every action there's an opposite and equal reaction. And so the shape of an airplane wing as it, as it cuts through the air, um, if you've ever stuck your arm out the window of a moving car, you can feel that air, you know, against your arm, and then you can turn your hand slightly upward, and as, as your hand pushes the air down, the opposite and equal reaction is that the air also pushes your hand up, and that's a law of flight, if you will, that, en that enables an airplane to fly. Are you with me so far? So when the Bible says that the law of sin and death can be overcome by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's, it's the same way that, that the law of gravity can be overcome by Newton's third law of motion. Now, here is the, I guess, the latest thing the Lord's been teaching me about this. In the same way that the law of gravity acts upon you, right? It acts upon you, but in order to overcome it, you must act upon the third law of motion. Still with me? No one has ever accidentally flown. And anybody who thought they did found out that they weren't, okay? We could say it another way. Gravity is automatic, but flying is intentional. So Paul said the law of sin and death is a law that's at work in our members, in our flesh. And it's acting upon us. In order to overcome it, we must act upon another law. Are you seeing this? Now, what does it have to do with what we're talking about tonight? Faith, again, is something that must be acted upon. The Bible says it this way, faith without works is dead. 
Far too many people have this comprehension of faith, again, as being something that's acting upon them, that it's like gravity. It's not like gravity, it's like the law of motion. It's something that you have to engage. It's not automatic, it's intentional. Faith operating in our lives, again, we, I think a lot of folks, and, and there's a lot of Christians who have a sense of entitlement. It's like somebody owes them something, you know. And they think just because they have faith that somehow it just, you know, and that's where you get all these crazy sayings like, you know, there's a reason for everything and somehow, you know, no matter what we do, everything's going to be and turn out as it would have anyway because like God's up there pulling all the strings and stuff. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not how this works. People wanted to fly for a long time, but when they, you know, finally discovered the law of motion that would overcome the law of gravity, that's when they were able to actually take flight. Desire alone is, uh, desire alone, wanting to alone is not enough. Wanting God to work in your life alone is not enough. So we say things like, and I, I understand, just hear me out please, I'm not trying to offend you, I'm trying to help you. We say things like, let me share my faith. And, and so what we mean, I think sometimes by that is like, well, let me just, let me tell you what I believe about God. And so again, we look at faith like, let me, you know, let me share my water, you know, let me, you know, again, that's more along the lines of something that's static or stationary as opposed to something that is intentional, a process to be engaged. Amen. Is this making sense to you? I really want us, I really feel like the Holy Spirit's wanting us to understand faith like that. You know, what we're going to probably look at some verses tonight, again, from Hebrews, the 11th chapter, but it's often referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. But if you read that chapter carefully, what it contains is a list of what people were able to do by faith, what they were able to endure, what they were able to accomplish, what they were able to overcome, what they were able to produce by faith. Again, because they laid hold of the things of God. They laid hold of the process that faith is, the power that faith has within it, and learned how to deliberately, again, intentionally release that in their lives to see it make a difference in the world around them. I don't know if we're going to develop a whole sermon on this or not. I, it just, it, it's kind of one of those thoughts in the back of my heart and mind that the, the Holy Spirit just kind of keeps bringing me back around to. And He brings me back around to it more when I'm with Him than I am when I'm with you. But every time He brings it back around to me when I'm with you, I just want to remind you, okay, life is not something that happens to you. People who are probability-minded, who have that concept of faith and, and, 
and, and risk-minded, risk-averse, all these other things. See, again, it's, it's a perspective on life where we just view life as something that happens to us. That's not faith. God didn't create us to be dust in the wind. He created, he created us to rule and reign in life and equipped us to have dominion and even subdue things that would get out of line. He would not have given Adam and, and the descendants of Adam the ability and power and understanding and instruction to subdue if there weren't going to be things that needed to be subdued. So this idea that we just sit back and let life happen to us, that is not. See, that is, that is a defensive posture in life. Faith is not defensive. Faith is offensive. Faith is intentional. Again, it's not something that is done to you. It's something that you act upon, that you participate in, that you engage. All right, James chapter 1, verse, verse 6, 7, and 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The Lord's been revealing some things to me about portions of this. I don't know if we'll get into all of it tonight. I feel like there's a lot more that he wants to say to us through this verse. The word picture that's given here is someone that's being tossed back and forth by the, the wind and, and, and waves. And, and again, notice this is someone that something is happening to them. Remember the disciples in the boat, that storm was happening to them until Jesus happened to the storm. Un until Jesus said, uh, no, we're not just going to sit back and let this happen and hope that we survive, hope that we're among the lucky few that, make, that don't drown tonight out on these open waters. No, no, he, see, it wasn't that he just going to sit back and let it happen because he knew better. He knew that he didn't have to sit back and let it happen and hope for the best, but that he could actually take command of that situation by faith. Are you seeing the difference here? Someone with a probability mindset says, let's get to the center of the boat. Let's hold on to the mast. Let's put on whatever life preservers we've got. Let's use everything we know about sailing and being on open waters and dangerous seas. And, and whatever you do, don't get out of this boat unless it flips upside down. And even then, try to hold on to it if it's upside down. But remember, Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, bid me come. And Jesus says, come on. And he stepped out of that boat. I think there's a lot of different reasons there why he stepped out of the boat. I think one of them is that he realized being with Jesus was safer than being in the boat. Rather be there with Jesus than in here with all these panicked guys who basically grew up on the water. They knew it was bad. But Jesus didn't hunker down. He didn't shelter in place. 
He didn't write it out. He shut it down. Do you see the difference here? Between letting it happen to you, life happening to you, or you happening to life. You, you actually taking your... So do you see why, like in Romans 8, when he says, all of creation is waiting for the sons of God to take the rightful place? It's like a, it's like a ship without a captain. It's, 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 it's just left to run loose, and, and creation knows that it was meant to be managed by those the Creator put in charge, and that would be us. So one more time, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. I don't know about you, and I, I know I, I, we all can see things differently and take things different ways, but that's some strong truth right there. About, that verse 7 is, is almost like borderline harsh. You understand what I mean by harsh? I mean, that's like, dude, you know. Mm. Come on, Lord, surely you don't mean that. No, he means that. That's, the word. that's just as much the Bible as John 3, 16. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. That word doubting, it means a few different things. But one of the things that it means is to waver. To waver. Sometimes I think, we look at doubting in the same way that we look at faith. We look at it as all or nothing. As one extreme or the other. But many times it's, it's not that way. I think it was Brother Copeland that the Lord gave him this phrase. Um, fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Is that right? In other words, if we tolerate fear in our lives, it will contaminate our faith. So we tend to look at these things very cut and dried, very black and white. In other words, that it's either faith or it's either doubt. And yet that's not what he says here. The doubting is, again, by definition, it's, it's going back and forth. It's, it's, it's being pulled in, in two directions. It's being pulled, you know, back and forth between this is what God said and I believe and I receive it uh, to, you know, this other position that says, you know, but how is this ever going to work? Where is that money going to come from? How are you going to recover from this when nobody else ever has in medical history? But you see, in other words, it's not that it's all doubting or that it's all faith. It's the double. It's the double-mindedness. One word for that word doubting is the word vacillate. In other words, it's just talking about going again back and forth, back and forth. And so, do you see why he uses this word? He who doubts. Um, is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. The wind here is, is, is representing or representative of the problem. It's like when Jesus talked about speaking to the mountain and the mountain being moved. The mountain is, is symbolic of any obstacle in your life, no matter how small or no matter how large. He was giving us instructions on how to solve problems by faith. So again, in this example, um, the, the wave of this being you know, driven and tossed by the wind, again, this, this, is, this is some circumstance, some situation, some problem in your life that's trying to bully you, that's trying to move you. There, there are certain 
parts of the country where the wind is a much bigger issue, a much bigger factor than it is here. Now, obviously, in the southeastern part of the United States, we have weather issues that they don't have out in you know, the far west and, and these kinds of things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just like you know, strong wind. Have, have you ever, like either a wind gust or, or something like that, like I'm talking about the wind so strong that it, you have to lean against it. In other words, it's, it's, an, it's a force that's trying to push you. And so when he talks about being driven by the wind, he's talking about circumstances and situations that are, that are manipulating you, that are pushing you around. And so the idea is, you know, or the, or the imagery here is that, is that we get on the Word of God, we, we get in a position of faith, but then when things don't change quickly enough or it, it doesn't look like it's working, it doesn't seem or feel like any, any difference is being made, again, that pressure starts to, to move us. It starts to draw us off that, that place of faith. And so then we try to you know, fight back against it and get back on, and it's just going back and forth. It's, it's, it's not ever getting settled. Right? It's, it's, we can say it another way. It's, it's like we, we don't ever get it quite nailed down, so to speak, in our lives. And, and, and what that nailed down, it could be anything from physical healing to paying your tithes to putting God first in your marriage, to, whatever. In other words, you know, where, we, where we just nail it down that He's not just a source, He's our only source. And, and if I can't get it by faith, I don't want it. Are you, are you understanding? I mean, just, just nail it down. And so until we, you know, set our jaw of faith like that, it's very easy for the enemy to move us around and move us back and forth. Now, we said in our study, matter of fact, you can go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews 11. I'm going to try to connect a few things together tonight before we're done. We said that um, in what the scriptures teach us about Cain and Abel, these first two sons of Adam and Eve, you know, We said their mom and dad, you know, had made some choices that affected mom and dad, that affected Adam and Eve, but it, it, it also created a situation for these two sons, you know, to where there's, there's choices now that they have to make. And we see that Abel chose the ways of faith. But Cain chose the ways of, of chance. Abel put his faith in God's ability. But Cain put his faith, we could say it this way, we could say that he put his faith in his ability his ability as a farmer, his ability to, I don't know why this jumped up in me, but it's like, you know, everybody talks about how, you know, I, 
I got this great, I can read people, Pastor Mark. I can read. You know, listen, I, I believe that you can, but see, again, we, there's so many of these different skills and things that we think we've developed that somehow, you know, make us a master at life. And, 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 and again, it's, if we're not careful, these things become points of pride. And so over the course of time is what the Bible tells us. There's, not a, there's details here that we don't have, but the details that we have are the ones that we need. And so something happened over the course of time. Over the course of time, you know, there was this, this separate paths where we see Abel went the ways of faith and put his confidence completely, totally in God and Cain went this other direction where he, I believe it happened like it happens to, to so many of us, so it happens, to, if we're not careful, will happen to us, is that it was something that just over time, he let a little something slip here and a little this and that. And, and, and next thing you know, he has gotten so far away from God's ways of faith and his confidence now is in his ability as, as a farmer. His, his ability to, to make things, make his own way and, and, and that kind of thinking. But when we say that his faith was in his own ability, what we have to realize, and I know for some of you this is a review, but what we have to realize is that he's now trusting in his own ability in a, in a world that's been cursed. In, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a world now that went from ordered by God to being ruled over by the enemy, cursed because of Adam's sin, where he could work his fingers to the bone and not harvest a single thing because of bad weather, because of drought, because of uh, insects. But rather than trust in God's ability to sustain him and protect him, he slowly but surely pulled away from that and put his faith and confidence in himself. And so we see that, again, all the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis is that in the process of time it came to pass. The process of time it came to pass. What came to pass? that Cain brought an offering of his fruits and vegetables to the Lord and that Father God did not accept it. He rejected it. It was an offering that Father God was not pleased with. Now see, this, the connection I'm wanting you to make here is this, is this is like that verse that's still on the screen, James chapter 1, right? Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. It, it sounds like God's being harsh here. It sounds like, you know, come on, God, give the guy a break, man. He brought you something. I mean, it's better than nothing, right? You know, you see, it's that kind of, if we're not careful, it's that kind of mindset. And then, of course, we see that Abel... He brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat to the Lord. So he brought also an offering to the Lord. And the Bible says the Lord respected, he was pleased with, he received 
Abel and his offering. Now this infuriated Cain. It, it, it just, you know, to say it rubbed him the wrong way would be an understatement. To the point that, and, and, and listen, if we're not careful, we can, we can all fall into this same trap. Rather than doing what he knew to do. So when God says, if you know what you, if you'll do what you know to do, you'll be accepted. If you do what you know to do, your offering will be received. So what does that tell us right there? He knew better than what he brought to the Lord. He knew better than that. I believe, I can't prove it by the, by the scriptures, I believe he had already brought offerings to God in the past that were accepted. He got lazy. He got pulled away. He got drawn away. And so the Bible says it didn't, it didn't please the Lord. So what pleases the Lord? Well, Hebrews 11, you're there, verse 6. But without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now there's two things here that we need to see. One, believing that God is. And then believing that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Are you seeing this? Two things. They're not, they're not suggestions. They're put in that strong four-letter word, must. He who comes to God must believe that He is and must believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So that ought to tell us something right there about the offering Cain brought, amen, that did not please the Lord. I believe, again, because the connection here, that, that's verse 4. We're going to look at it here. We're going to move back up from 6 in just a second. Look at verse 4. But again, he brought an offering to the Lord, but it was not one that pleased the Lord, and I believe it didn't please him because it wasn't a, it wasn't a faith. It wasn't a faith. So let's slip back up then, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Notice, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So what we do know is that Abel's offering was an offering of faith. Through which he, Abel, obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts... And through it, he being dead still speaks. Now, let me, let me give you the same verse from the message translation. By an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It was what he believed, not what he brought, that made the difference. Do you see that? It was what he believed, not what he brought, that made the difference. That's what God noticed and approved as righteous. After all these centuries, that belief continues to catch our notice. So what was this characteristic of Abel's offering that was a reflection of his faith? It was that he brought an an offering of excellence. In other words, what does that mean? It means he brought the best of his flocks. 
He took the animals that you would use to breed because they're the strongest and healthiest. He, he sacrificed those animals to God by faith, saying what? God, I'm not going to trust in my ability as a shepherd, as, as, as a, 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 a raiser of livestock, whatever that's called, rancher, whatever. I'm, I'm not going to trust in my ability to protect me because there are things that I, I, I'm not going to roll the dice and, and, and trust in my own ability, but I'm going to give you the very best of my flock as an expression of my faith in your ability to take care of me, of your ability to prosper me, of your ability, right? Okay. So Cain's offering said just the opposite of that. It said that he was what? Trusting in his own ability. He didn't bring God the best of his fruits and vegetables. He brought God the, the worst, the, not one of excellence. Are you seeing? I know we've been over this a couple of times, but I want us to keep being reminded of this so that we can continue to build on it. Now, again, I read verse 6 to you first, but we see verse 4. Now, let's go back with what we just reviewed or learned. Let's go back to verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Let me just ask you a point-blank a point question. Did Cain believe there is a God? He believed that God is. In other words, but remember, without faith it's impossible to please Him. He that comes to God must believe that God is and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If Cain's offering was not an offering of faith and therefore displeased, did not please the Lord, and it was because of what? Either he didn't believe that God is, or he didn't believe that God is a reward of those who diligently seek Him. Well, where did he miss it? Clearly he missed it on no longer believing that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Remember, it happened over the process of time it came to pass. Diligently seek Him doesn't just mean do it for a few minutes. It means to keep on. That, that word... Um, Diligently seek means one of my favorite definitions of that is to continue even after an interruption. In other words, you, you're doing good, you're doing good, you're doing good, then you let some things slip, then you oh, we got to continue, right? We're we, we going to diligently seek and continue to go after it again and again and again. Now, and I know that may not be the best English, but you know, people say, you know, I believe there is a God. Or you hear people say, I don't even believe there is a God. Okay. Well, Cain believed there is a God. He believed that. Is believing there is a God the same as operating in faith? Let that, let's think about that for a minute. Listen, I'm not trying to offend anybody in here, but if Cain could miss it here, we can miss it here. In other words, if we're going to say, did he believe there is a God? He had face-to-face -face conversations with him, I would think so. He's sitting there talking to him about the offering he just gave him. And by the way, when it says God didn't accept it, it wasn't like that he went out into the forest and left it on a rock and came back the next day and it was still there. He didn't accept it because he brought it to the Lord. 
So this idea that he didn't have any faith, but see, notice now, back to this, something acting upon you versus you acting upon it. Believing that God is, is a beginning necessary first step. But notice, that's, that's kind of like, I'm not saying it is completely, but that's almost kind of like that automatic thing. But diligently seeking Him, again, that's not something acting upon you. This is something you act upon. Very easy to say, yeah, I believe there is a God. Well, remember, James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Not just believe there is a God, but believe there's only one. So again, is believing there is a God the same as operating in faith? And the answer is no. If you ask Cain if he had faith in God, I believe his answer would be yes. Are you kidding me? He's standing right there. But notice, believing there is a God and, and then acting upon that by diligently seeking Him, this again is where I believe Cain missed it and I believe it's where a lot of people are missing it today. Cain's having an audible conversation with God. I believe you can make a, a case for him having a face-to-face -face audible conversation with Him. So again, think about the implications here. You would assume Cain's faith would have been absolute. I mean, he's sitting right there talking to him. Believing God is and believing He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him are two different things. Cain had the first but missed it on the latter. Operating in faith begins with believing in God, but there is much more to it than this beginning step. Now, based upon what we're looking at here, let me ask you a few other questions. Is it possible to see and hear God clearly, but not be operating in faith? And the answer is yes. And Cain's not just an example of this. Adam and Eve are the first examples of this. See, their choice to not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you realize that was faith. That was an act of faith. Because their Creator said, every tree here is yours to enjoy, but one, that one is mine. Don't touch it. The day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. They believed Him for a long time and diligently sought to please Him by not doing the one thing He told them not to do. All that's faith. The devil had to lure them away from their position of faith in God's Word in order to defeat them. He had to get them to, to instead of resting in God's ability to sustain them without eating from that one tree, God's ability to protect them without eating from the fruit of that one tree, God's ability to make them wise without eating from the fruit of that one tree. Notice their faith, their trust, their confidence is in God. But when the devil says, hey, if you eat that tree, you're going to be like God. You eat from the fruit of that tree, you're going to be a better person, you're going to be stronger, healthier, wiser, faster, better looking, all these other things, right? Now notice they decided, well, we're going to die, but it's, if it can make us that much better, what are we going to do? We're going to take our chances. 
We're not going to do it God's way anymore. We're going to do it our way. We're not going to listen to him anymore. We're going to listen to whoever this dude is dressed up like a snake. We're going to do, we're going to do it this way, right? Notice he lured them away from their faith. Because faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Devil's got to get you out of faith to beat you. And he knows it. Is it possible to see and hear God but not be in faith? The answer is yes. Is it possible to believe that God is and not be in faith? Yes. The devils believe and tremble. Faith is more than something static or automatic. It's something intentional, something to engage. How about this one? Is it possible to give offerings to God but not give them in faith? Is it possible to pay your tithes but not pay them in faith? The answer, sadly enough, is yes and yes. Jesus spoke of people who prayed to be seen, who fasted to appear spiritual, who gave money in front of people to be seen and recognized and be thought of as generous by their peers. He taught about all of this in his first sermon. And he said, whatever recognition you got, whatever pat on the back you, you received, whatever warm, fuzzy feeling you experienced is your reward. Nothing beyond whatever you got out of that moment is going to be produced by your praying by your fasting, and, and by your giving if it's not done from the right heart. And the right heart always begins with faith. I believe that Cain made the same mistake as mom and dad made. He let probability thinking deceive him and contaminate his faith. But here's the thing, and I'll finish right here. Okay, here's the thing I want you to see. He didn't, like, wash his hands of this whole idea of honoring God with an offering. Are you seeing this? Let's go back to it. When, when we talk about the, the, the faith and the doubting, we have this tendency to think, well, it's, it's all or nothing. It's one or the other. It's black or white. We're either all in on faith or we're all in on doubt. See, that's not, that's not what we see with Cain. We see him trying to blend the two together. We see him ultimately giving God an offering in order to improve his chances of survival. Clearly, he wasn't all in like his brother. His brother said, you know, man, I, I'm tempted to keep these best animals and, and breed them. You know, in the process of time, it took me a long time to really get this one. You know, the, 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 these, you know, sheep are, are just, man, the, the wool that they produce and, the, and their resistance to disease. And, and uh, man, it just seems like they can live off so little food. They don't need much grazing and they're... You know, just the best animals I've ever had, you know. I'm, I'm sure he was tempted to keep those and keep breeding those. But see, what is he, what is, that subtle thought now, he's like taking my life in my own hands. I'm taking 
trusting in my own ability instead of God's ability. And so he said, no, nah, I'm giving them to God. I'm giving him the best. In the same way, Cain said, I want to keep my best, but I'm not going to just leave God out of this whole equation. I'm, I'm going to give him something. We've got to keep him happy. See, heard all this idols and superstition and all these crazy things, right? Some unseen force in the world working against us that we've got to try to throw salt over our shoulder or whatever to keep at bay. It's ridiculous. Certainly not faith. Certainly not faith. So again, James chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of, his, all of his ways. Cain's problem wasn't he had no faith. He believed there is a God and he knew what, it, what was required and what was necessary to please God. Faith was required to please God. So his problem was that he didn't... His problem uh, wasn't that he had no faith or that he didn't know how to do what needed to be done. It wasn't one of ignorance. It was one of laziness, but I think ultimately it was one, again, of double-mindedness. Double-mindedness means what? Thinking in two different directions at the same time. And so from that produced this faith in God, faith in my own ability hybrid situation that is more prominent in the church today than perhaps it has ever been in the history of mankind on this planet, especially in the United States of America. Did God love Cain? Did he? Did God want him to get it right? Does he love you and me? Does he want us to get it right? Was there a way of escape for Cain? And there's a way of escape for you and me. So back to the question I asked you a moment ago. So why didn't God just go ahead and accept Cain's offering? I mean, clearly it wasn't one of faith. Clearly it wasn't his best. Clearly, you know, Cain was expressing in that offering that his total trust was not in God. But, you know, I mean, he did have something for God, but... He also had double-mindedly mixed in a little faith in himself and in his own ability. So, but still, I mean, if God loved him and wanted what was best for him and, and wanted him to get it right, I mean, why couldn't Father just go ahead and accept it? Here's your answer. And it's the same answer as to why the man who asks in doubt should not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. It's because... To accept it would have been to condone or endorse or approve of behavior that would ultimately destroy Cain. Father would have, let's say he had accepted Cain's offering. It was not a faith. It was not his best. It was 
Cain's ways of life and living, not God's ways of life and living. If Father had of accepted that offering, he would have been in essence saying, good luck, Cain. Thanks for the gift, Cain. You're right, Cain. I don't matter as much as I have told y'all I do. Good luck, Cain. After all, my ways aren't really important. As a matter of fact, Cain, there are other ways of living that are just as good as mine, if not better. I'm rooting for you, buddy. Go ahead, take your chances, King. See that? Are you seeing? Are you getting this? That father couldn't be a part of that. I'm not trying to be over dramatic with this. I, I, I keep hesitating on even reading this. He would have been, in essence, God would have been saying, "I approve of you playing Russian roulette with your life, son." Stand with me. Praise God. The Lord spoke to us last year. He said that this life was both a training ground and a proving ground. There is a, I don't know how many part series. He started, I think, in November, maybe December. Um, Keith Moore's teaching on reward, our full reward. The Bible says that Jesus is coming soon. And his reward is with him. And it's such a simple statement, but sometimes, again, some of the simple statements are the ones that are so powerful and so profound. But Brother Keith Moore said the Lord spoke to him and he said this. He said, he said Keith, um, uh, your righteousness is not based upon what you do. Right? Our, righteous, our righteousness is based upon what's been done for us. He said, your righteousness is not based upon what you do, but your reward is. Your reward is. And one of the things that we see very clearly in Scripture is that not everyone is going to be rewarded the same. Now, I don't think anybody in here is foolish enough to accuse Father of being unfair because we know that He's not. He's very merciful and He's very gracious. But this life is a training ground. It's a proving ground. It's but a vapor. It's the briefest sliver. It's the briefest bracket of time of your eternal existence. But what we do in the time that we have here on this earth is going to determine so much about what's waiting for us in the next life. God's ways are the ways of faith. And faith glorifies him. When you honor him by honoring his word, it glorifies him. Are you understand what I'm saying here? It, when we say it pleases him, you, that's such a simple word, and, and, and maybe we don't really grasp what it, what it means. But listen to me. You have, I have the ability to please him. 
faith is what pleases Him. When you can do anything with your life that you want to do, but you choose to live it for Him, it pleases Him. When you can do anything with your money that you want to do, but you choose to honor Him with a tithe and then give above and beyond that in the way of an offering, it pleases Him. Because what are you saying? You're saying, Father, You're my source. I'm not trusting in my own ability. I'm not trusting in my job. I'm not even participating in a buying and selling economy. I'm in your sowing and reaping economy, the economy of the kingdom, right? Notice, all of these things, it pleases Him. It pleases Him. And it's, and it's training and it's proving preparing us for what's to come in the next life. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your love for us tonight. Thank you for the things that you're revealing to us tonight. Thank you, Father, for the diligence, Lord, that's represented in the lives and families of the men and women in this room. The commitment, the faithfulness, Father, that's represented by the men and women in this room. Young people, Lord, upstairs, children, Lord, Father, that have committed themselves and their lives and their families and their marriage and raising their children and their finances, Father. Their talents, their abilities, their hopes, their dreams, Father. Committed it all to you. Committed it all to you, Father. We're not, we don't want to try to manage one single area of our lives without you, without your wisdom, without putting you first. We're doing it by faith. And Father, our desire is that you're pleased with us. Father, our desire is, Lord, this, it's, it's not about what we brought, it's about what we believed reflected in what we bring. What we believe reflected in what we do and how we respond and what we say and what we choose to do and the things that we refuse to do anymore. because of your love and because of your presence and power in our lives. Father, I thank you that as we go our separate ways, we let our light so shine before men that they see our good works. Glorify you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Good things coming. Good things coming. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus.